You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Father, we, we lift Ian up to you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the faithful service he is, Lord, and, uh, and the messages he's bringing, Lord. Lord, we thank you for, for your message and your gospel, Father, Lord. Lord, would you speak through, through Ian today, Lord? Lord, would your word um, impact our hearts, Lord? Would it be a light to our feet, Lord, and, and lead us and bring us to change where we need change, Lord? Help us to be challenged, Lord, and, and help us to um, put, it, put it in action in our lives, Lord. Help us not to take offence over anything, Lord, but help us to change and mould to be more like you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Good to see you all here this morning. Last week we were talking about what it means to be born again and the necessity of being born again. I'm just curious, who has had an experience they can point back to of when they were born again? Yeah, a number of you have. A number of you have. So last week I asked you one of the most important questions that could ever be asked, and that is, of course, are you born again? It's a serious question because your eternal destiny depends on whether you're born again. John Piper says that the new birth is not marginal. It is central to Christian faith. He says that eternity hangs in the balance when we're talking about the new birth. And he's right. I believe he's right. Because eternity hangs in the balance, we need to talk about the new birth. But it's a challenging subject. Piper preached on it a dozen years ago and he said at the time, I do not want to cause tender souls any unnecessary distress and I do not want to give false hope to those who have confused morality or religion for spiritual life. So there's a fine line to try and walk there. Both are very real dangers but the topic is too important to ignore. I also told you last week the reason why you must be born again. Most importantly, of course, is because Jesus said you must be born again. And if he he says it, then he means it. You cannot see or enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said, unless you are born again. That should be sufficient reason in itself for needing to be born again and understanding that it's necessary. But there's also the very real problem of our sin and our alienation from God if we haven't been born again. We've inherited the spiritual DNA of our first father, Adam, along with the legal guilt, the moral rebellion and the spiritual death that his original sin brought upon us. Flesh gives birth to flesh, Jesus said in John 3, verse 6. And Adam has been reproducing according to his kind ever since that sin in the garden. Flesh giving birth to sinful flesh ever since. If you want evidence of that, look to Genesis. Cain was Adam and Eve's firstborn son and he slew his brother Abel in a fit of anger and jealousy. Or look to a little child. What little child needs to be taught to disobey its parents? Even before they can talk, they learn how to disobey. Or look to yourself. You want evidence that we've inherited Adam's spiritual DNA. You don't need to look any further than yourself. You and I both know 
we can't get through a day, sometimes not even a minute, without sinning in some way. So to overcome our our, uh, spiritual inheritance from Adam, we need more than just a new start. We need a new birth. We need to be born of a different father. Because Adam is only giving birth to, to sinful flesh. We need a father who is holy, pure, righteous, without sin. The spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus also said. Without that new birth, without the spiritual birth, we remain strangers and aliens to God and subject to his punishment for our sin. But we can't bring about our spiritual birth by our own efforts, by our own will, by our own choice, any more than we could bring about our first physical birth by our own efforts. We need to be born from above, born from God. So we're confronted with two insurmountable problems, or at least they're insurmountable from our side. We're alienated from God by our sin and we can't change that. There's nothing we can do to make up for that. And we can't born ourselves again to enter the kingdom of God. So we're facing the certain prospect of perishing eternally And it's not a very exciting prospect. Thank God then that someone was able to provide a solution for our problem. We read a few verses further on in John's Gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. John's Gospel is where we first read about the necessity of being born again much of the description of the changes that accompany being born again come from the pen of the same author, come from John's writings in his letters. We'll see that shortly, but firstly, we'll start off John 3, going back to verse 5, where Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The new birth comes about, I suggested last week, through the operation of two agencies. Firstly, by water. You must be born of water and the Spirit. I suggested last week that the water was referring to the Scriptures. And I gave you a couple of verses that I quoted for that and a few that I said supported, which I didn't quote. But 1 Peter 1.22 tells us, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27 tells us that Jesus might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Then there's also 1 Corinthians 6.11. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Then James said, Of his own will he brought us forth. Brought us forth is the language of birth. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So I suggested last week that the first agency of the new birth is the scripture itself. Then the second is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit creates a new heart in us where previously there was only a heart of stone. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 we read last week. And that says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Then in Titus 3.5 it tells us that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. The washing of regeneration is the new birth. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us in John 6.63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The word of God, the Bible, is the normal means that God uses to bring about new birth and faith. The Holy Spirit takes the scriptures and opens our hearts, our minds, our understanding. And this this process of opening our hearts and bringing about the new birth is what brings faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Paul told the Roman church. Now I suspect many Christians look for some sort of dramatic experience in their life, some sudden change, something like Paul's Damascus Road experience for proof they've been born again. Well, many of you have said this morning that you can point back to a significant event, a particular time in your life where you were born again. Many Christians look back to that and they can say, I was a drug addict, an alcoholic, a gang member, a street person, when God rescued me on the 15th. Thank you, Charlie. One for you too. I was a drug addict when God rescued me on the 15th of July 2004. I know the day. It was like there was a flash of light and God touched me and changed my life. I had a mate when I was a younger bloke who experienced just that sort of thing. He was a Hells Angels type of bikey and a drug dealer. We used to buy our dope from him. 
and uh, he got touched by God one day and radically changed. I sort of lost contact with him for a little while. When I caught up with him, he was a different person and all he wanted to do was tell me about Jesus Christ and tell me all the time. He didn't let up. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I had no interest in that. I couldn't deny the change in him. Something dramatic had happened to him. But I didn't want to hear about it, so I sort of abandoned that friendship. I also knew a young man about 20 years ago who was a $500 a day heroin addict on a Sunday morning and his mate brought him along the church and by Sunday evening he was saved, filled with the Spirit, water baptised and set free from his addiction instantly. Instantly. An incredible testimony of the power of God and of new birth. Some Christians have that sort of testimony. But if you notice that many Christians can't point to any particular event or any particular time in their life. Some of you are like that. You can't point to a time where you say, this is when I was born again. I just always believed. And I have a friend who, who's uh, one of the most faithful believers I've ever met who said he actually feels like he's missed out on something because he can't point to any particular event. He's just always believed. But I said, you've got a great testimony, mate, because it shows the faithfulness of God to his parents that this man would grow up as a believer, all the days of his life. David talks in one of the Psalms about following the Lord from his childhood, from his birth. Even in the womb, he talks about it. What a marvellous, incredible testimony that is. But if you don't have that testimony, does it mean you're not born again? I'm actually convinced that the lack of a dramatic testimony is not proof that you haven't been born again and a dramatic testimony is not necessarily proof that you have been born again. The proof is not in an isolated experience, as helpful as that may be, but it's in a lifelong change, as I hope we'll see this morning. My own experience is somewhere in between, I think, I didn't have a dramatic new birth event and I'm not even sure that the event I'm thinking of was my born-again experience because it was very subtle. I, uh, I do know that I didn't have any particular interest in God before this time. When I was a young man, I went to Sunday school and went to church at times and things like that, but I had no particular interest. But then... Uh, one night I had, had a particularly frustrating time. I was trying to get a problem solved and a fairly significant problem. And some of you have heard the testimony before, but I was at the end of my, my tether. I didn't know what to do. And I hopped in the bed that particular night and said quietly, God, I've tried everything I know and nothing's worked. It's your turn now. As simple as that. And I felt a gentle wave of peace come over me. Nothing powerful, just a gentle peace. And I just knew in ways I couldn't explain and still can't explain that things were going to turn out okay. From that point on I began to trust Christ. I began to be interested 
in the things of God. I began to want to go to church and want to read the Bible and want to know more about Christ. I began to change very slowly but very surely. I might have been born again that night. I'm not entirely sure. But the feeling in my heart is not proof that I was born again. How we feel, our emotions are notoriously unreliable, notoriously unstable. And if you're depending on your emotions for your certainty of your new birth experience, you're going to be swinging back and forth like a pendulum from saved to not saved and never get any peace or confidence. Many of the people that I know that have the most stable, most mature Christian faith, the deepest love for Christ, the greatest passion for God, can't point to any time in their life that they can say, that was my born-again experience. They don't need to depend on a feeling for their assurance that they are saved because they see other evidence in their life. I hope this morning those of you who may be questioning whether you've been born again and having some doubts will see some evidence that will confirm. If we need to point to a particular feeling or specific event in our life for the evidence that we're born again, then many Christians are going to be in trouble. For every Damascus Road type of conversion, there seem to be a hundred or a thousand who have no defining event. They have a slow, quiet, subtle but ever-deepening love for Christ. Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. Have you noticed that fruit trees can take many years to mature and bear fruit? But if they're properly cared for, bearing fruit is exactly what they will do. So what does the Bible tell us are the results of the new birth? There are many Some of these will be a checklist for those of you to see if you truly have experienced it. Others of them will be an encouragement to you about your present state and about your future prospect of salvation. I hope and pray that many of you will be able to look over these things and look at your life and say, yes, I can see this evidence in my life. I can see the work of God in my life. The born-again event is not necessarily something we can pinpoint in time, as I've said, even though being born again means a completely new life. You would think something as dramatic as birth would be always accompanied by some dramatic event. But that's not necessarily the case. Being born again is not an improvement of the existing person. It's not an evolution into a better kind of person. It's a new life. It's a new person. That's the point of the whole born again concept. This new life is a different sort of life to our physical life. Jesus referred to living people as dead when he said in Luke 9.60, let the dead bury their own dead. There are those who are the walking dead every day of their physical life. And so were all of us before we were born again, the walking dead. But when we're born again, we are in Christ. We are a new creation. The old has passed away. 
Behold, the new has come. John 3.8, Jesus said, The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The new birth is mysterious. We can't tell where it comes from and often we can't even tell at first if it's actually happened. But like the wind, we will see the results eventually. The wind is sometimes seen in the gentle rustling of a leaf on a tree. One single leaf rustling is evidence of wind or a gentle cool breeze on your face. Or it may be seen in a violent cyclone where trees are uprooted and houses flattened. The wind doesn't blow though without evidence that it's blowing. Much of what we will learn are the signs, the evidence of the new birth are found in John's letters. The same author, as I said, who wrote about Jesus and Nicodemus and being born again also wrote quite a bit about what it means to be born again. And in John, 1 John 3, verses 9, through, uh, 9 and 10, sorry, John writes, No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. And then John also writes, And now, little children, assuming I've got it here. No, sorry, I didn't put this in. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So you're probably thinking about now, thanks for nothing. You've just finished telling me that I can't do anything to bring about my new birth and now you tell me immediately that if I'm born again I won't sin. That doesn't help me have any confidence that I've been born again because we all sin. But at a glance it would seem that if we sin at all then we're not really born again. Now unfortunately our English translations don't really help us get our head around what John's saying here. John also writes in the same letter, in chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he also writes in the same letter, chapter 5, verse 16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, He shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin, of course, that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. So John says that if we're born again, we will not sin. Then he also says, if anyone does sin. Does John, under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit, not know what he's talking about? I'll come back to this before we finish, but the big question we must ask ourselves 
is not, am I free from sin, but what's the trajectory of my life? Do I delight in sin or do I regret it? Am I frustrated by my failure to live a holy life? Do I wish to be free from sin? If that is a trajectory of your life, that's evidence of being born again. We'll get to that a little bit more shortly. We're a work in progress. Don't imagine that being born again suddenly means that all your selfish desires go away, that all your sinful actions and thoughts cease overnight. We know that's not true. It's a lifelong struggle of change, but it's one that reveals the certainty of your salvation. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, John said, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Sin is no longer our happy habit. Before we're born again, we loved our sin. We wanted to do the things that we wanted to do. But now we can't go on sinning if we're born again because we don't like the things we used to like. We don't like the sin. And we get frustrated at our inability to get on top of it. You will know them by their fruits, Jesus said. John continues, chapter 3, verse 10 of his letter, but by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Another sign of being born again is love for your brother. John's not talking about your blood relatives, your siblings, he's talking about other Christians, male or female, this shorthand for brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you love your brothers? Do you care about other believers? Are you interested in their lives, in their struggles? Do you pray for them? Do you look forward to catching up with them on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or what other whatever other event there may be. If so, they're signs that you may just be born again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, John said. 1 John 4, 7. And John goes on in his letter. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. There's that love for the saints again. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Being born again is inseparably linked with obeying God. Do you want to obey God? You may do it perfectly. In fact, you will do it imperfectly. But do you desire to love him, to know him, to obey him, to keep his commandments? 
if you have no interest in obeying God, if you have no desire to keep his commandments, then I would suggest you don't get too comfortable about being born again, no matter how long you've been sitting in a church, if you have no desire to obey God. John makes it pretty plain that new birth and obedience go hand in hand. In the very next verse, John tells us, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now the world thinks our faith is pathetic. The world thinks our faith is ridiculous. And sometimes we can succumb to the pressure from the world to keep quiet about our faith or walk away from it. But those born of God will stand firm till the last day. They will overcome. That's the thing about faith. Faith is a daily requirement of us. But faith doesn't see its full outworking, its full satisfaction until Jesus returns or until we meet him. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Not the assurance of things we already have, the assurance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Jumping out of John for a moment into First Peter. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through a faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What great promises this passage contains for those who have been born again. Go back to verse 3. God the Father has caused you to be born again to a living hope. He has caused you to be born again, in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. He's caused you to be born again to an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. If God's keeping it, who's going to be able to tear it out of his hands? He is guarding you by his power for salvation. And he's testing the genuineness of your faith. In contradiction to those who would tell you the Christian faith solves all your problems, that it's all beer and skittles. Peter's letter tells us in no uncertain terms, though for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. Various trials are the test of the genuineness of your faith. If you face those various trials and walk away from your faith, 
You might not be born again. Because God is keeping you. God is keeping you. And if he's not keeping you, then you need to be worried about your salvation. Trials sort out the men from the boys, so to speak. They determine just how genuine your faith is. Getting back to John, he says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, Peter just said, we face all these trials. John says the evil one doesn't touch him. Which is it? Of course, it's yes, it's both, as it always is. There's a protection, though, that God provides for us when we're born again. Jesus Christ himself provides the covering we need to stand before the Father. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. Peter again says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. This seed that has brought about your new birth is imperishable. Does that suggest to you that you can feel some security in your salvation? Because it's a work done by God, not done by us, we can be confident that God will bring to completion the good work he has begun in us. John again tells us, the one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know that you have eternal life. It is possible to know that you have eternal life. It must be possible, or John, speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is a liar. But that sort of of certainty isn't found in that dramatic event that you experienced when you were younger. That may be helpful, but it's not where you'll find the certainty. It's found in the unfailing and unchanging word of God. It's found in the word of God that tells us what the changes are that the new birth birth brings about in us. And it's found in the evidence of a changed life and a changed heart, a heart that now desires holiness, desires righteousness, desires obedience. Now, I don't want to discourage those of you who have been genuinely born again. You can look over that list that says those who have been born again no longer sin, always obey God's commandments, love perfectly and so on, and realise you don't fit any of those descriptors, or at least don't fit them very well. But again, we're a work in progress. These changes which the Bible calls sanctification, are a slow process that won't be completed 
until we meet the Lord one day. Either at our death or when he comes again on the last day, assuming we're still alive, that's when they'll be completed. Right up until that time, we will be struggling against sin. So the question to ask yourself, am I growing in these things? Am I growing in these things? Can I see change over a period of time? Do I care about my spiritual state? Do I desire to be free from sin? Do I get frustrated by my lack of progress towards holiness? Am I a different person spiritually today than I was two months ago, two years ago, two decades ago? If the answer is yes, then you have more evidence of new birth than a thousand emotional experiences could ever provide. There will be setbacks, doubts, frustrations, no doubt, but what is the trajectory of your Christian life? But what should I do if I examine myself and realise that I'm unconcerned about my eternal state? Well, if I realise I haven't been been born again, what must I do to be saved? The new birth, as I said, is an act of God and God alone. We can do nothing to bring about our new birth, but in the mystery of God we do have a part to play. We must have faith. The Scottish theologian John Murray makes the point that faith is not the act of God. It is not God who believes in Christ for salvation. It is us. God alone makes us new and we alone believe. And we believe in Christ alone for salvation. We don't have faith in our faith. We don't even have faith in our new birth. We have faith in a person, in Jesus Christ. So firstly, turn to Christ. Determine that you will trust him for your eternal state. Don't trust your good behaviour, nor your hard work. Don't trust your Christian upbringing, nor your prayer life. Don't even trust your faithful Bible reading and sacrificial service and church attendance. Trust him. What must I do to be saved, was the cry of the jailer in Acts 16. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household, was the reply. Believe in him. John wrote his gospel so that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and by believing, have eternal life in his name. Believe in him. Repent of your former ways. Recognise and admit to God that you haven't sought to please him above all, that your life has been one of selfishness, self-sufficiency, meeting your own needs and your own desires and receive him, receive Jesus Christ, the sin-forgiving, all-sufficient one. You can trust him to make you new because he never fails to do that which he promises to do, never. And he has promised to welcome all without exception all without distinction, who would call on him for salvation. Beloved, we are God's children now, John wrote, and what we will be has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. A day is coming, friends, when our stumbling, bumbling attempts to imitate our Lord Jesus Christ will cease. When he appears, we shall be like him. Does the prospect of putting this two steps forward, one step backward life behind you excite you? I hope it does. Are you looking forward to being free of sin forever? I hope so. If that applies to you, if you can answer both those questions with a yes, then on the authority of the word of God, I declare that you're born again. Because those who are not born again don't care about those things. Let's close with prayer, shall we? Thank you, Father, that those these thing these things are mysterious, they are true nonetheless. And thank you, Lord, that our salvation, our new birth, is not dependent on our understanding of the process, but it's dependent on your Holy Spirit doing a new work, a new creation in our hearts. I pray, Lord, for everyone who hears this message that you would do the work of taking out hearts of stone and said that you would put in hearts of flesh and put in a new spirit, Lord, your spirit, within us, within them, according to your great promise. I pray, Lord, that you will cause us to walk in your ways, to be careful to obey your rules, your statutes, Lord. And I pray for any who have been born again by your spirit, yet lack the assurance of their new life, that you will confirm it in their hearts and their minds. To your glory, Father, and in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.